All right, today we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, as we have been. We're coming up on a break in Mark, but we're going to be here for a couple more weeks. We're in Mark chapter 7. We'll be reading most of the chapter today. You can, you can read it on the screen. You can just listen. You can find a Bible somewhere underneath a chair nearby you. You can just take that if you don't have a Bible. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there, there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he'd entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable, and he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word that is here with us, before us, that we might go home and it sits on our shelves. God, I pray that it wouldn't just be on our shelf or in our lap, but it would be in our heart. 
God, would you pray that our hearts, I pray that you would make our hearts be open, our ears be open, our eyes be open, that we would truly receive what you have spoken to us. Help me, God, to speak these words and none other, that you would be worshiped and honored and all would see your greatness. Amen. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark specifically and purposefully focuses on action. So a lot of the Gospel of Mark is taken up with stories of what Jesus does. There are not many big sections of speech and teaching. In fact, this is the longest speech conflict in Mark's Gospel. So when something like that happens, where it's outside of the norm of what the, the author of the text normally does, you should pay attention. It's, it's not a mistake. This is a long conversation and discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees, and then Jesus explaining further what it is that he is trying to say. And there are things going on here that you may not understand that he is referring to. Mark is trying to help us out. Us, Gentiles, this is one of the reasons why, this chapter, why we're pretty sure Mark was writing for people like me and you. Because he goes out of his way to explain some of what this conflict and controversy is about. Jesus is approached by Pharisees. Pharisees are a part, at this point, of a couple hundred years of tradition of interpretation and political activism. And they have a particular way that they understand that the law of Israel should be worked out for the people and what that might mean for the people together. And the Pharisees have a tradition, among many other traditions, where to demonstrate being cleansed from uncleanness. When you go into the market, you, just in case, just to be sure, you, you wash. You, the Greek here is baptize your stuff, your cups, your pots, your dining couches, all of these things, just, just, to be, just to be sure, just to be really sure that you're, you're clean. And at some point, it has shifted in people's minds who followed the Pharisees, who are Pharisees, that this is not just a precaution that you might take. This is a necessity. And so they are looking at Jesus and his disciples, and they are not doing these things. And they are saying, hey, the elders did this. Why would you not do this? Who are you to be above them? And Jesus confronts them because they are dealing on the level of custom. And he wants to deal with what the law actually says and what the law is actually doing. And he quotes the prophet Isaiah to them and says, you... We were warned about this, and we were warned about you. You're more concerned about these traditions than you are about what God actually says. And he then brings a test case to them to prove his point. In Israel, you are required to take care of your parents. Honor your father and mother. It's top ten, literally. You have to honor your mother and father. And... In Israel, the, the commandment has been understood, and I would say ought to be understood, to not just mean like, I speak respectfully to them, though as a father I will take that. <laughs> it doesn't just mean that, though. In, in fact, it seems like, especially in Jesus' example here, 
Maybe the primary way of understanding it was an obligation to financially care for your father and mother. That's the command here that he's referring to. Honor your father and mother. And he's saying, look at how you help people subvert the commandment. This custom had, had arisen that you could devote portions of your property to the temple, to God. And it would have this label of Corbin. It's basically a tax write-off. You say, when you die, when I die, like all of this stuff is going to the temple. Well, when it gets written off, you then have the privilege to live with the stuff that you're hypothetically going to give after you die. And so he's saying, you Pharisees are, are telling people that they can say, this is Corbin, all my stuff that I'm going to give when I die is devoted to God. Mom and dad, look, I'm really sorry. I don't, I don't have anything more to give you. I can't do that because this is devoted to God. And Jesus is saying, that is breaking the commandment. That stuff, you can't tax right off that stuff. You have to honor your father and mother, and you're finding loopholes to help people to break the commandments. And now you're getting on me because we are not washing our hands enough, which is not even in the law that is required of us. And then Jesus goes further. Because he begins to describe what the purpose of the law is. Purpose of the law. All of these customs and the laws themselves are arranged to unveil your heart. Because then he starts talking about the food laws. And these are not customs. These are laws. You can read these laws in Leviticus and elsewhere in the Torah. And Jesus says, the law is not telling you that what you put in is what defiles you. That's not what the law is doing. It's what comes out of you that defiles you. The law helps you see it. The law helps you recognize it. And so Mark is writing to the early church, mostly Gentiles, we believe, based on the way that he is writing his gospel. And all these Gentiles who are reading it, people in Rome or elsewhere, Swannanoa, they're, they're all eating a bunch of stuff that's going inside of them that breaks the laws of Leviticus. I broke those laws joyfully just last night, putting bacon and cheese and mayonnaise all over my dinner, and I loved it. And so I, as a Gentile, could be reading the law and reading these rituals and say, oh, wh what do I do? And Mark tells you, when Jesus is saying this, he is declaring all foods clean. This is explicitly laid out in the gospel. It'll be explicit again in the book of Acts when Peter has a vision at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. And they're not saying, guess what? The law is dumb. The law is lame. It's too hard. It's too weird. So we're just going to scrub that thing, forget about the law. That's not the rationale that Jesus gives. What he's doing is helping you to understand what the law is actually for 
and these portions that are constantly telling Israel, you are unclean. Jesus is not saying the law is wrong. He's saying, actually, I'm here to be very clear about the truth of what the law is saying. And it is that you are unclean. It is not because you ate bacon on your sandwich. It is instead what has happened on the inside of your heart. From what has come inside and flowed outside, that is what makes you unclean. And he lists for you these things. From within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And if you listen to this list, no one should feel like they are able to, in good conscience, say, oh, I'm good, I'm clean. Because somewhere in this list is you. Especially if you read Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, Jesus will be very clear what it, what it means to be a murderer, an adulterer. And the focus of his teaching is your heart. And so he is, on, on one hand, he is declaring all foods clean. He is, he is separating himself from the project of the Pharisees. The Pharisees are, are constantly looking out at the pagans that surround, and they are trying to draw in tight, draw in close, protect boundaries so that Israel is not corrupted. Israel is very clearly the, the people of God. Israel is very clearly separated from the nations. They are narrowing constantly what it means to rightly be in relationship with God, and that is both a ritual and traditional practice, and it is a political practice. And Jesus is saying, No, I'm not part of that project. But he is also radically expanding the problem. It is the problem that you and I face, that the Pharisees face, that all people face, is not. Just so simple that if you would just rearrange your diet, you would wear the right clothes, you would monitor your steps properly and how many you took on which day, then you would be okay. He's actually saying the problem is far larger than that. The law is very good because it tells you the truth of that. And now I'm just making it explicit. The problem is not what's on the outside. It is what is on the inside. And then there is this kind of test case. This woman comes and finds him. Jesus and his disciples have gone north and west to get away. He wants to be alone. And Jesus has a poor track record of being alone when he wants to be alone thus far in the Gospel of Mark. It's the thing that Jesus appears to be worse at. He keeps trying to be alone, and people keep trying to find him. He goes into Gentile, pagan territory where no Israelite would want to be because it's unclean. And he hides in a house, and this woman comes and finds him because he cannot be hidden. And this woman says to him, please heal my daughter. She's afflicted by a demon. 
And these are some of the most offensive things that Jesus says in all of the Gospels. He calls this woman a dog. He says, why should the dogs eat from the, eat the children's food? People understandably really struggle with this passage because this is not nice. Some people have tried to say, you know, dogs are cool. <laughs> I love dogs. Okay, granted, when people in the New Testament and the Old Testament in Israel use the language of dogs, it is never the playful lap that they love to cuddle. That is not what they mean. This is not friendly language. It is got a history, especially specifically in this context between an Israelite and a Syrophoenician of some racial animus, some antipathy, long history. And it can be confusing such that some, they call themselves Christians. Some Christians will say, maybe Jesus was just kind of a bit of a racist. I would say no, <laughs> especially when you look at where Mark puts this story and what Jesus is doing. Jesus does this, though, not just with this woman, with lots of people. They will come to him, and he will push back. And then they push again, and Jesus relents. It's not just a pattern in the Gospels. It's a pattern in the, all of the Scriptures. There is a kind of invitation to respond here. And there's an invitation to understand. And what's amazing is the Syrophoenician woman, this Gentile woman, she understands. The disciples did not understand. Immediately a few verses before this, Jesus is chiding the disciples, do you not yet understand what I'm telling you? But to the Syrophoenician woman... She understands. She doesn't stand there and say, that's really offensive that you would call me a dog. She understands that this is kind of parable language. And she says, okay, in the confines of this story, I understand who I am. Jesus came to the children of Israel first. Jesus will be very clear about that. The New Testament writers would be very clear about that. She gets it. But, she says, isn't there enough on that table for me? Isn't there enough on that table? Because there's surely enough. With what you're doing, there's surely enough for the children at the table. But isn't there more than that? So that even the people that you didn't come to first might have some. And Jesus says, you get it. In, in Matthew's gospel, he praises her faith, praises who she is. In this story, the issues that Jesus has started hitting at in previously in Mark chapter 7 are embodied. He is in an unclean place with an unclean woman outside the people of Israel. And there is a question of what is going on in her heart and whether or not she will receive what Jesus has. 
and she understands and receives. Everything that Jesus is coming to do is aiming at your heart. The law is aimed at the heart. And every place where the Israelites failed to understand this, it is not because the law was bad or it was too much, it's because they did not listen to the law. Israel thought they could offer sacrifices to God in the temple and be a people who trampled on the poor, who extorted people, who also offered to other idols. And they thought, if I check this box, I am allowed to do these other things, not understanding that the law was about the heart that God demanded of Israel that he would be the only God in their heart and that they would look like him in all that they do, not only for themselves, but for the sake of the whole world, which he has told them in the book of Deuteronomy, that they would be a kind of people for the whole world, that their hearts would be so captured by the God of Israel and their conduct would be so captured by the God of Israel that they would act as a people, as priests to the world, so that all of the nations would come and worship this God, the God of Israel. And what they did instead is, is reduce it down to a long list of a code of conduct, and if they checked enough boxes, then surely it would be enough so they could do whatever they want. And if that is your understanding of following God, if I check enough boxes so that then I can do whatever I want, you are just like the Israelites, and you are missing the point. The point is not to find the minimum level code of conduct or the maximum level code of conduct. Check your behavior boxes and rise to it to your own satisfaction so that then you can feel safe doing whatever it is you like. The point of following the God of Israel is that your whole heart and your whole life is captured by him in love. And you don't look at the extent to which you have to obey him and the, and the degree to which you can just obey your own desires. The question you are not meant to ask over and over again is what is the minimum bar I must clear before I get sent to hell? That kind of questioning is pharisaical questioning. This is the sneaky thing about the world of the Pharisees. It is always somebody else that's a Pharisee when the likelihood is it's you. You would prefer to judge all kinds of other people by traditions and external criteria and feel secure in judging them because they don't look like what they ought to look like. But I do. It's the best part of being a Pharisee. Everybody is wrong but me. And I will look at what I can see on the outside and I can judge other people and I can look at myself and feel great about myself and never listen to what Jesus wants to say about the state of affairs in your heart. And the project of the Pharisees is alive and well today. 
in churches and outside churches. You can find Pharisees amongst the most faithful Christian church attenders and Pharisees amongst people who would never come inside church. The dialogue of the culture that we live in is the language of Pharisees translated to 21st century American English. We live in a world that loves this, to set up traditions for ourselves and for others, to police tight boundaries and to cast aside anyone that doesn't look like us. And all the while, Jesus is standing outside of those camps and saying, what is the state of your heart? Yes, they may look different than you. They may do the wrong things. They may vote for the wrong political party. What is going on in your heart? Your ability to tick all the right boxes are not what make you clean. What is happening in your heart? Out of your heart is there flowing murder, which Jesus would define as anger and rage at other people, adultery, lust, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. If any of those things are in your heart, what are you doing looking at those other people? It is your heart that is unclean. And you need to be saved. It is far easier to judge from the outside by the customs and traditions, by the grid that we create, and not let Jesus be the Jesus who speaks to us all, everyone, and lays bare the deep need of our hearts. And the person that understands that in this run in Mark chapter 7 is the woman you least expect. She is not educated in the law. She is not an Israelite. She lives in a place known for its pagan resistance to the God of Israel. And yet she believes that Jesus has enough for her. And Jesus responds to that faith. He heals her. He heals her household. He sets her free. Is this woman, God, does she have some issues? Is she, is she probably breaking a bunch of laws that she ought to follow? Yeah, almost certainly. She's not a, she's, she can't be a perfect follower. It's impossible. She's still a Syrophoenician. And yet the door to the kingdom is open to her because she sees Jesus and she knows that he has enough for her. And if you spend your time contenting yourself with making yourself feel good about your behavior and your conduct, especially as compared to that person and that person and that person. You need to listen to Jesus here. You are looking at the wrong thing. And Jesus is concerned 
with the state of your heart. You better be careful that you don't make yourself comfortable by using measuring sticks that are always out there and of which you have complete control. Because you will blind yourself, you will delude yourself. And if you are living under the weight of your own disqualification, if you are sitting in your life with God and you have constantly been after your own self-rule and self-determination, your own self-obsession, and you know that you do not live up, and at the same time you've tried to justify and explain your own way of living by somehow making yourself feel better that all of those other good people, they just must be self-righteous people. I don't need to do that because those people, they're just so self-righteous. All the while you know you're justifying your own behavior. Jesus sees you too. And you can try to hide the truth from yourself, but you cannot hide from him. It is the state of your heart that is at issue. And wherever you are, the question that is being asked to you is, do you believe that in Jesus there is enough for you? Not, not in Jesus and your own conduct. Not in Jesus and your own qualifications. Not Jesus and anything. Do you understand what this Syrophoenician woman understood, which is that only Jesus is enough. Only Jesus has enough for me. Only Jesus is the one who can make me right. Only Jesus is the one who can make me in. Only Jesus, and that's it. Do you understand what the Syrophoenician woman understood? Or do you tack on a long list of checklists that you enjoy knowing and feeling that you are in control of and you can satisfy your own desire to justify yourself and to feel good about yourself and to control so that when you fail, you can say, well, at least I can do A, B, C, and D, which is in my control. The question is, do you see Jesus that he and only he can save you? Only he can heal you and deliver you. And Jesus has enough for you. If you're here today and you struggle to believe that, you are invited to see the Syrophoenician woman and to understand that for you too, he does have enough. And if you have lived a life that most of us live by habit and by experience, by choice of self-justification, self-determination, trying to bargain with God that if I just do these things and I can be in control of this much of my life, if you know that that has been you, that you have sought to judge others to make yourself feel better and to pretend like you are safe within these boundaries that you patrol and you control and you are realizing, oh my goodness, I have done this very thing. 
I have done what Jesus warned against. I have done this thing that I should not do. You should know that there were Pharisees in Jesus' number. Even Pharisees came to the conclusion that it was only Jesus that had enough. And when they saw it, when they realized it, Jesus actually had enough for them. He really did. The God of Israel came in Jesus to fulfill the covenant and throw wide the doors to even the people who would make a mockery of him doing it. And if today you have realized that your heart has been hard, your life has been your own, and you have worn Jesus' name while doing it, he still has enough for you, and he will heal you and deliver you if you would just see and ask the same thing that this woman did. It is for you that God has opened the doors of his household so that you might be his. Leave aside your project of self-comfort and self-justification. Leave aside this life of wondering where you are in measurement to others. Instead, listen to Jesus and let him provide the feast of his own table so that you would be a son or a daughter with him, secure, safe, and established with the head of this household now and forever. He has enough even for you. Let me pray for us. Lord God, we thank you that there is enough for us. And we confess to you that we have bargained and negotiated many times like the Pharisees. We have even used scripture to be able to justify our own breaking of the law. We have used scripture and the traditions of people to do just what the Pharisees have done. We have protected our own pharisaical habits. We have failed to understand just as these disciples have. And God, I pray that whether we've done that as a religious-looking church person or whether we have done that as somebody who has rejected you but still adopted our own moral law and behavior code by which to judge and comfort ourselves. God, I pray that we would be drawn to the same place that this woman was, that we would see the thing that Jesus came to do in Israel is for us as well. And now the God of Israel has thrown open, thrown wide the doors to his kingdom for even people like us. God, we confess to you that we have been hypocritical. We, have, we confess to you that we have withheld portions of our life so that we might just do barely enough to be considered right in our own eyes. We have been Israelites in that way as much as any Israelite. And we are sorry. God, I pray that you would help us to see you, that you would help us to see and to hear Jesus. 
And that we would know that in Christ, the table is laden with enough food for us too. I thank you that the meal of Israel has been delivered over to the Gentiles, to people like me. God, would you help us to see that and to believe that in you and only in you is more than enough and is what we need. We thank you, Jesus, that is true 2,000 years ago and it is true now and it is true for me. It is true for us. We thank you, Jesus. We give you thanks and praise. May we love you with our whole lives in and out. It is in your name that we pray. Amen.